Welcome to Disability Inc. I'm Colin Montgomery, a family educator at Include NYC. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Kailani Capote, who is a restorative justice coordinator at the New York Peace Institute. Welcome, Kailani. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely, our pleasure. The New York Peace Institute is a nonprofit organization that serves Brooklyn and Manhattan and provides dispute resolution coaching, support, and training to community members, schools, parents, and organizations. In her role as a restorative justice coordinator, Kailani facilitates mediations and restorative justice circles at the Urban Assembly School for Global Commerce, which is a high school in East Harlem. Her work also involves leading staff training and professional development, peer mediation, and training for students. Kailani, we're so delighted to have you share your experiences doing restorative justice work with us. Restorative justice has made headlines nationally as part of a push to create alternatives to out-of-school suspensions and to improve school culture. And restorative justice is also a very timely topic in New York City, with restorative justice practices being adopted across all New York City public middle and high schools starting this school year, 2019-2020, as part of the Department of Education's recent major reforms to limit out-of-school suspensions, and to equip students and staff with social-emotional and conflict resolution tools. That said, I imagine many people are unclear about what exactly restorative justice looks like in schools and practice. I personally remember feeling quite taken with the idea when I was a teacher, but I didn't have a sense of what shape it would really take. Um, and so folks may be skeptical of restorative justice. They might see it as a touchy-feely way of addressing serious problems in school, like fighting, bullying, stealing, and cheating. So we need you to enlighten us. Uh, so if you don't mind, if you could please define restorative justice for us. Sure. So restorative justice is a whole lot of different things, especially restorative justice in schools, which is my specialty. Um, so it's basically a process that encourages the bringing together of everyone who was affected by a wrongdoing. Hmm. So we try to address the needs and also it's all about accountability. So I don't like always using the term offender and victim, but for this, you know, for this example, we bring together offenders and victims of harm and have discussions on how to make things right again. So okay. it's not about blame or punishment. It's about you know, this situation happened, what was the impact, who's taking accountability, and how do we make things right? So you're reframing it from kind of punishment toward accountability. Absolutely. Resolving, you know, the problem. Right. Okay. Really trying to get, like, to the root of the root and repairing relationships that, that have been harmed in the community. Okay. And it takes, a, you know, different kind of shapes depending on where you're working with students in a school, right? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I'm I'm just going to be talking about schools, but restorative justice is in many different fields. Yeah. So um, in schools, we, we have what we call like a three-tier framework. So tier one is just the general universal supports mm -hmm. that is in, that you have throughout the entire school. Okay. So it's the whole school approach. So tier one is like 80% of the work that you'll be doing. And that's where advisories come into play. A lot of schools have advisories where it's, it's a class dedicated to social emotional learning and they're able to have talking circles and restorative circles and they are able to talk about just different topics that come up in schools with students, with teenagers or, you know, just kids in general. Um, and so that tier is just having system-wide expectations, having school activities, building healthy relationships with students and teachers, mm -hmm. and all types of social-emotional supports that students need to succeed in schools. That's great. Yeah, so that's, that's a tier one. Um, so tier two is more of the targeted supports. So I said tier one was kind of like the 80%. Tier two is like the 15% of the work that you'll be doing in RJ. Mm -hmm. And this is when harm happens. So how do schools address when harm happens? 
usually, traditionally, there are suspensions. So something happens and a student is suspended or they have detention. And a lot of times this is for minor infractions. And so restorative justice sees it as there's no real learning in suspensions when there's no accountability, when there's no conversation yeah. that, that takes place between um, the harm, the harmed and the person doing the harm. Yeah. So um, tier two is where the mediations come into play, where we have circles. Um, sometimes we do community service apologies so whether written or uh verbal apologies um other supports like counseling behavior um intervention plans or just other supports that we feel the student might need or the student could could verbalize that they need um so that's the targeted support and i just want to jump in there Mm -hmm. that's really important I'm, i'm a former special education teacher and i just would you know really be banging my head against the wall just frustrated because i would think a student was being suspended unfairly in the first place. Maybe the mm-hmm. suspension was related to uh, his or her disability. And I just wouldn't see, you know, the student really learning from being removed from the school for a few days. So it's really important, just, just speaking to, to what you're saying, when you have the opportunities for community service, structured apologies, mediations, really being able to talk through the issues, you really do learn from that. It's not something to that, that, that just you know sounds nice in theory. You know? Right, yeah. Um, people tend to really take accountability, especially when they're hearing the impact of their actions on other people. Yeah. And so it's not just, okay, I'm telling you to do community service. A lot of times that comes from the students. Wow. And they come up with ways of how to really rectify the situation because students don't really want to be suspended they want to figure out how to make things better how to make my community better i come to this school every day i don't want to have this reputation Mm -hmm. and so they really come up with these creative solutions to to what happened got you and then we so that's up through tier two and then there's a tier three as well yeah so tier three um this would be the five percent so this is the five percent of the work that you're doing and it's the high level the higher level need so when suspensions do happen when students are brought back into the community, we like to have reentry circles or reentry conferences. We address what happened, but it's more so about the needs assessment. Mm-hmm. What do you need to okay. be back into this community? And we have relevant stakeholders a part of this conversation. So we have teachers, advisors, sometimes family members. We really encourage families to be there. And what needs to happen? What does everyone need for this student to be acclimated back into the community for us to kind of Give them a clean slate. They, you know, they did their time. They're back. They're still part of our community. What needs to happen? And a lot of times, students will say they need to catch up on their schoolwork, um, or don't sit me next to this particular student. Yeah. Okay. And so those real conversations happen in tier three. Um, but if tier one and tier two are done correctly, you wouldn't really need that much um, tier three support, which is why it's that five percent. Um, addressing when things do go wrong. That's right. So yeah. I'm hearing a lot with tier three, and I imagine as well with tier one and tier two, you know, it's really going to be targeted toward the needs of, of the student or students. And there's there's some flexibility, some creativity with providing, you know, the right types of supports. Um, so that, that's really cool to hear that in tier three, that the student can kind of be a, have a, have a strong voice in naming what he or she may need to have a strong, you know, transition back to school. Right. And a lot of times they might not know what they need at first. And Mm -hmm. then from hearing from other people, when a teacher is saying, you're really good at this and I see that you like this. Sometimes the student is like, oh, yeah, I am kind of good at that. 
you know, what support can you give me in that area? And so it just opens a bigger conversation um, and really trying to develop the student as a whole person and not just in their academics. That's so important. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've already answered this question, why use restorative justice in school, but we'd love to just hear you say a little bit more about it. You know, why is it so important? Yeah, so I, I can go on and on about this, <laughs> but um, restorative justice in schools to me is just so important especially in the discipline aspect, because suspensions really do not solve the problem. We're kicking students back into the streets, into their homes. They're not, we're denying them the education. Mm -hmm. So they're not really learning anything when we're being, when they're being kicked out of school. Um, restorative justice, I feel, is really bringing them in and really bringing them into the conversation. It's so easy for someone to do something wrong and then just go home for three days. Yeah. It's a lot harder to sit across from people who you've harmed and take accountability for that. Yeah. Um, and so the whole goal is that they would learn and then not do this the next time or think twice before they, they do something or they see someone else doing something. Um, because a lot of times you get just desensitized to suspension. Okay, what are you going to do? Suspend me? Fine. I'll go home. And that's it. And wanting to have the conversation with someone is, is scary. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there are studies that show that black and Latino males are the ones that are being suspended at higher rates, um, especially those with students with disabilities. And um, a lot of times, like I mentioned before, these are for nonviolent offenses. So, you know, we have a student who years ago was suspended for turning off the lights in his classroom. Um, wow. And yeah, you know, the, the rationale was it's a safety hazard. Um, it could have incited a riot. And it's like, that's true, but that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, you know, are there other things that we could do instead of suspending? Can we have a parent meeting? Can we have a conversation with the students to really explain why that rule exists? Um, and let them know why, why it exists. Sometimes we, we tell students they have to do this and they have no idea why and they don't respect it. But if we're able mm -hmm. to talk to them and tell them this is why, this is the safety concern, this is how it impacts me as a teacher, um, that student could think twice before turning off the lights tomorrow. Yeah. But instead we're sending them home for a few days um, and we're just kind of perpetuating this school to prison pipeline that says the more that students are suspended in school, the more likely they are to be in prison at some point in their life. Yeah. Wow. Um, and yeah. I, I'm just putting on my teacher hat again. I remember mm -hmm. one framework we used called collaborative problem solving or CPS. And it, it operated from this understanding of behavior or misbehavior as a combination of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Mm -hmm. Right. So really kind of getting at what you're saying mm -hmm. there, if you're able to have this space to reflect and really think through, you know, what was going on with this behavior? Was there something that was unclear? Was it really just kind of, um, you know, masking or covering or operating on behalf of, of something else? You can really help make those connections, mm. you know, between staff and the student and really understand, you know, how to go in a different direction the next time. And that's why I really felt mm -hmm. the suspension didn't offer the opportunity for the student to really reflect and learn about how to prevent, you know, that misbehavior or think more flexibly about, you know, potentially tough situations, which we all know come up in school. Mm -hmm. let, you yep. know, we're not being naive here. I say, like, oh, restorative justice was, will solve everything. I right. mean, um, but it's really great to, to hear that this space is being validated. And I could just say, if I were still, you know, in the classroom, I would be, or, or back when I was in the classroom, I, I would have been so hungry to, to be a part of, of these conversations. Yeah, and I think it's the approach too. Like we, we're treating students so so much differently than how we treat people in, in, the, in a work environment. Mm, so when things okay. happen at work, we're not just right away firing people or right away giving them a 30 day suspension. 
we're mediating. When two coworkers are in a conflict, we'll mediate. You know, we have an HR department. So we there's a process that adults are able to go through when things go wrong that we're denying students of the like that same process. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, you, you spoke about this a bit already with the tiers, but I, I just wanted uh, listeners to really understand how you implemented those three tiers um, and how you really implemented the, the restorative justice model in the Urban Assembly School for Global Commerce. So we really started with the staff. It has okay. to come, it has to be from the staff and it has to be really from top down. So from principal, assistant principal, and it has to be a whole school approach. So what we would do, and we still do, we do circles with staff. Um, so in the staff PD, that's held in circle, staff meetings, we try to hold it in circle as much as possible, um, and really showing teachers what these talking circles are. So just like a little bit of background for those who aren't familiar with talking circles, it's literally people sitting in a circle, no furniture, just chairs. Mm -hmm. We have different aspects that are important to the process, like a centerpiece um, that's on the floor in the middle of the, of the circle. We have a talking piece that goes around the circle in a sequential order. Um, and it's really validating equal voice in the circle. So there's no leader. There's just a facilitator who's prompting questions and we're going around and everyone has an opportunity to respond. Because in regular conversation, there's always someone who kind of maybe dominates the conversation and others who may be quiet. Um, and so this process really allows those dominant voices to step back and those more quiet voices to step up. That's great. Um, and really just express whatever the topic is. We, we go from community building and just, um, you know, how was your day today? Because we, we tend to forget and not check in with our teachers. Um, so we do that a lot. So we started with the staff. And we have the advisory program. Not all schools do, but we're lucky enough to have an advisory program at our school mm -hmm. where students meet two to three times a week. Um, and they have advisories based on their grade and sometimes based on gender. Um, and they're able to have conversations, you know, like I mentioned, real um, safe at first, talking about just different topics, maybe friendship or how was your summer break. And then once that trust is built, they're able to talk about more deep conversations, success, and what's my future looking like in the roadblocks and what does harassment look like? And get yeah. into these more deep conversations. And it's not forcing the issue. These are all perfectly appropriate conversations to have in school. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's things that come up. So some these circles are just brought up based on what's happening in the world, what's yeah. happening in their school. That's great. Um, and then, you know, it is tied in with academics. They do have um, academic check-ins where they can look at their grades. Hmm. They have um, interview prep and they can, you know, learn how to prep for interviews or professional dress and they talk about bank accounts so all these different things that you would want to learn in school that sometimes we're just put into the world and we're expected to know that's the truth yeah <laughs> um, so you know advisory is that place and that advisor is supposed to be almost like that those students school parent like this is who they go to when there's something going wrong they go to this person and they should feel really comfortable with that person okay so that's really where restorative justice in schools starts and, you know, schools have to be flexible when there isn't an advisory program. Uh, they, they do different things where they'll, they'll do, like, pullouts, and they'll pull out different students to have circles. Um, they notice that certain, certain students are at risk. So there's different ways to do it, but it's really just those community-building circles. That's the first way to get students connected to each other and to an adult in the school. Um, yeah, I like to say, like, the more you know about someone, the less likely you are to hurt them. So that's kind of where that comes from. This is, again, the 80%, right, is the tier one. Okay. And so if this is really done 
correctly then tier two tier three that comes a little bit later but this this community building tier one is really the basis for for where restorative practices starts in schools another part is uh, the discipline so um you know the deans are involved in this part but again restorative justice needs to flow through everything that we do and so discipline um you know it's it's following an incident so we're de-escalating incidents and so let's say like there's a fight instead of trying to okay let's have a mediation right now that's mm. probably not going to go too well so we might send students home for the day we'll call their parents they'll pick them up and then the dean team they'll come together brainstorm creative ways of what can happen contact parents see if parents are willing to come to a mediation a circle and we'll follow up like that um we have other situations that um, when students return from suspension, I was saying that they'll have a reentry circle. Sometimes we can't always have all the stakeholders there. So we'll have the deans just do like a check-in, see what needs to happen. So it's really about being creative and finding what works for your school um, and really getting the training and support that needs to back all this stuff up. Because if you just have people having conversations with students, sometimes how that conversation goes can cause more harm than good. So um, really just making sure that it's done with high fidelity. and um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's really great. Uh, <laughs> have a great sense of the framework. Mm -hmm. um, just thinking about as you're going through doing the work of restorative justice and you're following, you know, this framework with fidelity, like you said, mm -hmm. are there particular, you know, principles that you're, you and staff are, are thinking through that are guiding your work? Well, for me, I really just try to keep in mind that students are human beings and they're still growing and they're still developing. Yeah. And we forget we forget what it was like to be that age and make mistakes or I did it this way. Why is it this? Why is this student doing this? Like yeah. we have a similar background and yeah. just re remembering that everyone is just so different. Um, so that's just kind of like my principle with how I do the work. And just like keeping in mind, like one circle is not fixing this. Like restorative justice is not this magic pill that's coming in and just fixing everything. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, just on those lines, uh, a story that comes to mind is a student who was in class and had his hoodie on and was, wasn't sitting in his assigned seat. And um, the teacher starts getting into a back and forth with the student about sitting in your seat and taking off your hood and being in uniform and not really understanding that there was something going on with that student. Sure. Um, and come to find out, you know, that student had a passing in his family the night before and oh, said, I came to school because I didn't know where else to go. You know, and like just something like that just reminds you, like students are looking for structure. Kids are looking for these relationships that we've worked so hard to build. Mm -hmm. They didn't know where else to go when this happened. They came here. So that teacher you know, getting into this back and forth, it is hard. And I, I'm not a teacher. I've never been a teacher. So I, I can't understand from that perspective. Mm -hmm. But I under, I understand from an outsider mm -hmm. that it can be hard. You have these rules in your class and you're, you know, you have these expectations from administration and everything. But how that one situation just escalated to calling the dean and our dean could have called school safety and that student could have been arrested if yeah. they became irate yeah. all because this student had their head down and their hood on when technically they're not supposed to. So for me, it's just keeping in mind that we all have bad days. There's always something going on and just to understand what's going on with, with someone before we, we jump to why are they doing that? There is such a bad person. 
um, or they always do this and just, you know, thinking that restorative justice is like an excuse, just more so of like, what's going on? Yeah. And, and I remember you, you mentioned before when we first spoke that we all want restorative options. That's like an instinctive thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. which like, just as you were saying at work, we don't just, you know, it doesn't automatically lead mm -hmm. to being suspended. There will be a conversation maybe with the supervisor, or with a coworker, yeah. right? So we're, we're constantly trying to find ways to better understand each other and negotiate, you know, um, something that's mutual that's going to work for everyone so it's yeah, so and I, important and i think like adults we kind of sometimes learn after the first the first time we do something maybe sure. the second time yeah and students might not learn for yeah. the first 10 times yeah yeah so it's just a constant conversation and that's what people forget about restorative justice i always say at the bottom line it's a conversation like mm -hmm. we're really just talking to people it's just how we're talking and the questions that we're asking instead of saying why did you do that we're asking what happened mm -hmm. We're asking, what was mm. the impact of what you did? We're not saying, we're not making them the bad guy right away. We're just asking, in general, what happened? What was the impact of what happened? You know, so it's just a way that we're having the conversation that's still getting to the same point, just in a little bit of a more human way. Yeah, yeah, that, that's so important. Could you give a, an example? You already mentioned, um, you know, that, that back and forth between the teacher and the student. But could you share an example of a conflict you were able to resolve? using restorative justice practices? Yes, yeah, so there's there's a few um, <laughs> that come to mind. So one that I'll share is um, we did a, a basketball team mediation. So the basketball oh, wow. team, yeah. We're still unclear of the details, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, the basketball team apparently was at a, an away game mm -hmm. and um, got into some kind of altercation with people from the other school. Um, and there was some type of physical fight that happened. And so the basketball coach really felt violated that the team went, ran away from him and did this. And he was kind of like in charge of all these students and they ran away from him, still not understanding what happened. Mm -hmm. So we, we did a circle with, with the team, trying to understand what happened and talk about the impact. And so, like I said, we still didn't, don't know what exactly happened. But as a team, they were able to talk once the adults left and come up with what they thought would make things right. Okay. And so they came up with uh, talk to the other team, write letters, and they came up with all these different restorative options. And unfortunately, the other school wasn't open to that just yet, which happens, and that's okay. Sure, sure. Um, but I think just having that conversation and letting the the team members really think about their impact and how they can make things better was like really important. Um, and then of course we have to follow that up with communicating to the staff because the staff is going to think, okay, nothing was done, mm -hmm. but yeah, they were point. so open to doing it. It's just that the other school was kind of, you know, not ready for that yet. Okay. So we just continued doing things on our end and we were able to, you know, they still got a couple days off from playing and like different things like that, but it wasn't so harsh that it was just everyone's off the team, basketball's over. Yeah. It was more followed by um, a conversation. Yeah. So it could have really gone good. that way. And yeah. That's not going to lead to the most productive outcome where they're yep. really learning from a really difficult experience. And a lot of those students, basketball was their, was their motivation yeah. for the school year. I they certainly know, remember that. <laughs> they know that they need, they need the good grades. Yeah. They need the grades to yeah. stay on the team. 100%. So even though it's not always the best, you know, motivation in our, maybe our opinion, mm -hmm. that was that their motivation for that particular time. So if we, t if we take that away, what are they working towards, you know? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's hard. I imagine with a more challenging conflict, that already sounded like a pretty challenging, you know, situation. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, depending on the level of the conflict or the behavior, right? If it's more intense, um, then you might need more of a kind of intensive, I guess, thinking about like the tier two, tier three mm -hmm. uh, levels of restorative practices. So uh, can you share an example of an experience of one of those types of more challenging conflicts or behaviors that call for those higher levels of support? Sure. So a lot of the conflict, um, the day-to-day -day is real low level. So it's like students just kind of like misbehaving in class, like yeah. throwing paper balls or on their cell phones, sometimes like arguments, okay. but real low level. Um, so a major or challenging conflict that I can talk to is a group of boys, or just, no, boys and girls, a group of students we have in the school that live in the same area. Mm -hmm. And so they come in kind of like with this, we're all we got kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm very careful what I call a gang and not a gang, but some people see them as a gang. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've just been very strategic with what we do with this group. So the dean has kind of taken them under his wing and he'll have weekly lunches with them, check in on them, because there's a lot that's going on with them at home, in their neighborhoods, mm -hmm. and it's affecting their academics um, and just the way that they carry themselves just not trusting people and just you can just tell that there's something else going on there so just yeah. trying to be proactive which is a lot of what we try to do we try to be proactive instead of waiting until something happens um build these relationships with these students who feel like they're all they got to show them that like no we're all here we're all paying attention to you yeah, yeah. um so what else might you need and so um realizing that some of them are gang related or gang affiliated we reached out to this organization called Wheelchairs Against Guns, okay. which is an organization of two men who uh, use wheelchairs because when they were teenagers, they were victims of gun violence. And so they go into schools and they talk with young people about um, gun violence and conflict resolution skills. And they do a lot of work um, with students and students kind of listen to them and talk with them in a different way that, than, that they would uh, to the rest of us. So that's one of the challenging conflicts that's ongoing because, again, it's not like we're just doing this one-time workshop and, you know, it's done, but yeah. we're continuing to do work with this group of students. Um, but we've noticed that their attendance has improved, their that's academics great. have improved, and their teacher and student relationships have improved. So, you know, can't say that restorative justice is in charge of all that or, yeah, you know, yeah. we can't take the, the credit, but... You know these things show correlations. So, yeah, and, yeah. And, and it speaks to what you were saying earlier about just bringing people in, right? Like creating yeah. the space to, to really bring people in who might not be feeling, you know, the relationship to the student body to the school, right? Um, that's that's really powerful. Yeah. Um, and overall, how how do students? I imagine they're they're not too shy in sharing their feelings with you <laughs> after <laughs> building you know building this trust over the course of a few years. So how how are students feeling about the restorative justice model you've been implementing at? at your school <laughs> they love it oh, cool. um yeah they really do it really gives them a voice um they know that when they see me carrying our, our talking pieces we have this stuffed animal frog um named lily <laughs> and they know that when they see That's me great. carrying lily it's yeah. a, it's a circle so whether it's their class or i'm going into another class we're having a circle um they're requesting circles and mediations now which is amazing to me um, I had a student come to me and say, like, I want to adjust this student, but I don't want to do it in the cafeteria because, like, like you said, you know, it might escalate things. Can I do it in your office? And, like, to me, that's, like, absolutely. I'm going to give up my office. And these two students were able to 
talk and she asked, were you talking about me when you said this? Mm-hmm. And the other student is like, no, I was talking about this. But that other student felt so empowered because she's like, if you were to do this in the lunchroom, other students would have hyped it up. Yeah. And we could have ended up in a physical fight over something that wasn't, you know, anything major. So that's like one example. And then just um, we've had students request circles in their classroom and things aren't going right or they don't. Um, they don't like the way the teacher's teaching the class or she's going too fast and she's not hearing them out. So we've done circles like that in classes. That's really cool. Just, just want to yeah. pause there. Because I, I certainly remember, like, you know, there, there were times just you can kind of read the room and you're like, all right, mm-hmm. kids are starting to kind of, like, you know, slack off or goof yeah. off. But you can tell that eh, maybe things just aren't clear. And so you just want to, it'd be great if the teacher were mindful enough of that in the moment. And you can kind of have that conversation. But I'm not saying that a teacher isn't mindful about that. Yeah. But it can just be tough to do that in the moment. So it's right. really cool to hear students being able to advocate in that way. And it was in a structured, respectful way. We had a circle yeah. with the entire class. And then also remembering that there are academic elements to a circle. So we mm-hmm. had the assistant principal there who was able to listen to the student's concern. And mm-hmm. after the circle, meet with that teacher on a number of, of times and they were able to improve her grading policy and just like different, you know, pedagogical stuff that I can't do. I'm just guiding the conversation. But then yeah. the assistant principal was able to take what she heard and now builds on that teacher's skill set. And then the, the class was better, yeah. you know, again, not right away. But through these um, conversations, things got better. And it wasn't just a touchy feely kind of thing. It yeah. was really like something that has some real action, actionable steps for that's, that teacher. That's great. Yeah. You have yeah. like a common set of tools that you can use and hand off mm-hmm. to actually create real change for the teacher, for the students, and how they're relating to each other and, yeah. and learning. I mean, <laughs> it's really important. Yeah. Wow, very cool. Um, and I imagine restorative justice hasn't just been a big mindset change for students, but also for families. Uh, can you speak a bit about how, how you've engaged students in restorative practices and what their feelings are about the model? The families, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Or did I say students? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um... It's been difficult to get parents a part of like our community building circles just because of, you know, work schedules and things like that. Mm-hmm. But um, we're trying to do it in a way that we can incorporate community building circles into the PTA okay. because we just have circles in every other aspect. Um, I think just like building connections amongst our parents is just as important. Um, but we do have parents attend after an incident happens. So I was mentioning before, like we might have a fight or something, call the parents and ask them to come in the following day. Um, and they do. So they'll be a part of that process, um, a mediation or, or a circle in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so they trust us that we're doing it in, in, a, in a good way. So they, they don't always feel the need to be there. It's because we talk about restorative practices at open houses and at accepted students nights. So they already understand what kind of what we do. So we'll notify them after we have addressed the situation, we'll call them, we'll let them know what's happened. But they haven't been a part of all the processes that we would hope, but that's that's definitely like a goal of ours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, I'm hearing that parents are, you know, understand that this is kind of baked into the DNA of how the school culture works, mm-hmm. that there is a shared responsibility. You need to be present after an incident, you know, as much as your schedule is going to allow you, you know, as you're following right. up. Um, so... Yeah, we're we're gonna pull the curtain back. You know, not everything's solved. Some of this stuff's still a work in progress. Yeah. But it's but uh, I really appreciate you know you sharing the the family side of things as well. Uh, and can you share any experiences or reflections about doing restorative justice work uh, with students with disabilities? 
Sure. So a lot of the times we have students, students that are in conflict are students with IEPs. So mm -hmm. learning disabilities, emotional um, disabilities? Emotional well, disturbance. Disturbance. Yeah, the emotional disturbance. Yeah. So just IEPs in general. So, and that can be for like multiple reasons, mm -hmm. but um, we just see a greater risk of students of color and students with um, disabilities. Mm -hmm. So whether a student says that they're bored in class because they don't understand the material, um, but then maybe with further discussion, it's really that they don't understand the material. It's not that they're bored. It's just that they really can't access it in the same way. Um, so, so, true. so again, looking yeah. at ways that we can work with those teachers, um, because teachers just think, oh, this student is just not, you know, behaving in my class, but not yeah. really understanding the underlying um, issues that maybe they're just not understanding what's going on in class. And that's why they're acting out or that's why they're on their phone. Um, so we tend to see a lot of that. But many times I don't even know when a student has a disability. I'm mm -hmm. just having a conversation with students and maybe that comes up or maybe it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, like I, I did mention before, but I'll say it again, like these students with disabilities are at a greater risk of suspension. And, you know, there'll be um, different processes along the way that says, no, there won't be suspended, there'll be this, there'll be, but there's no preventative things in place before things go wrong. Yeah. And that's where we really need to focus our efforts on the special ed department, what are we doing to address these needs, the counseling department, before things go wrong and schools really need more support and training in this area of how to even interact with students yeah um i know we at our school we have grade team meetings and so ninth grade team meets 10th 11th and 12th mm -hmm. and so i remember there was one meeting that um one of the teachers shared about a particular student and said you know he really likes when you i forgot what it was but he in that meeting was able to share this student likes when you do this. Mm -hmm. He doesn't like when you do this. Mm -hmm. And just that, like that basic, con like communication between those those teachers, it improved that those other teachers' relationships because teachers are like, why does he behave in your class and not my class? Yeah. yeah. So those conversations just need to continue to happen. No, oh, totally, totally hear you there. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just thinking you're mentioning the great team meetings and things of that nature, and we know, you know, if a student has an IEP, there are formal behavior intervention plans you could have added onto an IEP right. if there's been an ongoing pattern of behavior that, you know, interferes with the student's learning or peers' learning that may sometimes just be a reaction to suspension and things like that. And, and yes, you know, that's important, but it kind of goes back to what you're saying about we need a preventative framework that isn't just going to help, um, you know, students with IEPs. It's going to help the student body. It's going right. to be part of the school culture. Exactly. And, you know, I'm, again, going back to just things I remember from when I was teaching, like that idea of, um, you know, um, difficult behaviors being the product of, or misbehaviors being the product of lagging skills and unsolved problems, mm -hmm. or just a lack of flexibility in your thinking in the moment, mm -hmm. right? And so you, you just don't know how to compute the situation, and you, you maybe overreact with your words, with, you know, physically. I can, I, I can just picture many students I've taught who would have yeah. really benefited from this framework. So yeah. I just, just want to, you know, bring it back. It's definitely all about equity. And, like, that's been Absolutely. a major push, especially this year, where our new chancellor is really pushing mm -hmm. equity. Mm -hmm. And people just forget what that means. And, like, yeah. it's, it's just the idea that point. everyone needs something different to get to the same goal. So yeah. I'm not lowering the expectation. Yeah, the expectation right. is the same. It's just one student might need one extra hug to make it through the day, and another student needs a little bit extra tutoring so it's just yeah. about 
meeting meeting students where they're at, but still getting to the same goal. And that's what people like forget. And when you have a whole school language like that you can accomplish through restorative practices, through community circles, you know, that yeah. works at these various levels, you have a much greater chance of <laughs> bringing about equity. Of course, yep. it's still going to be tough because there's so many challenges, you know, um, schools across New York City, just to, you know, to unpack the, the, the data here, let alone across the country, right? Mm -hmm. We know that schools face a lot of challenges, so none of this is super easy or is going to be solved overnight. But right. I, I'm just thinking about how much students um, I taught would have benefited from having day-to-day, -day, you know, practice talking through social-emotional skills and thinking about conflict resolution. So if you're not getting it in school, chances are you're probably not going to, you know, get it after school. Yeah. I, you know, like if you're playing sports, maybe that could help you play an instrument, other extracurriculars. Okay. Right. And, and I'm sure that there are many families that have an approach to it. Um, mm -hmm. but it's not a guaranteed thing, you yeah. know? So it's really amazing. So when are they going to get it? Like, yeah. Yeah. When else? Yeah. It's mm -hmm. school, right? Like it's important right. to have these conversations and not just make it all about academics and, oh, you either met the expectation or you didn't, you're either in it, you've met the standard or you haven't, you're either in the school, or you're out of the school, right. depending on how behavior uh, comes up. Definitely. Um, I really appreciate all that. So we're going to start wrapping up. We're down to our, our final couple questions. I, I can't even believe it. Um, <laughs> but in general, what lessons have you learned from implementing restorative justice practices in your school? So lesson, um, it's definitely hard to make cultural changes in a school. Yeah. Um, so our project, this is going to be our fifth year in this particular school. Oh, wow. Congrats. Yeah, <laughs> thank great. you. And it's my fourth out of the five. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like we're just now hitting a groove of things yeah. where like everyone's kind of speaking the same language. Everyone's kind of expecting, um, certain things to happen. I think when restorative justice first came into the school, it was like, okay, this is another thing that the DOE is doing and then it'll go away. Yeah. But seeing the consistency of us being there and I was full time, you know, five days a week, I was there really ingrained in the school um, and I just think now we're finally hitting a groove so a lot of times people feel like oh this isn't working let's just chuck it and like really sticking with the process mm -hmm. so like mm -hmm. that's my lesson like it's it's hard to make cultural change but like sticking with it you'll like eventually hit that groove where it's just like second nature yeah it's important because you're, yeah. you're speaking to you know policy changes <laughs> make may kind of come and go every couple years and a couple of years isn't necessarily enough time to see if something really took, right. took root and, and, and was successful. There's always competing priorities in a school. So yeah, it's like, yeah. what's priority this, <laughs> this time? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so you've already mentioned, you know, I think just in the case of specific students, like the benefits that they experience. But in, in, in you know, in your mind, what are, what are the major benefits? If you kind of zoom out, what are the major benefits that you and, and those who've used restorative justice practices have experienced, especially comparing to what the kind of status quo was where we had a behavior system in New York City where problem behaviors were addressed primarily with suspension? So the benefits, I think, is just overall like a more positive school culture. Okay. And so we've really worked hard on that. We've um, implemented a climate and culture team that meets once a week and mm. comes up with different ideas and projects to make school feel better, look better. Um, I'm constantly checking in with students to see how they feel about the school now compared to when we first started and the students feel, really feel positive about it. The teachers, um, we have like a higher retention of even teachers because oh, that's great. or staff in general, because yeah. staff used to leave, um, at high amounts like every year. Mm. Um, so I just think like, we're just like more student centered. They see their pictures around the school, which is something that wasn't there before. Mm. Um, students are rushing to class. Like it's like 
a like a multitude of different things. So like academics are on the high, on the rise, and attendance is on the rise. And so we can't, again, like I mentioned before, we can't just say that this is all due to RJ, but it's just like how we've just been in all different facets throughout the school. And so it's just like build a positive culture overall and just like a, a higher expectation, yeah. I think. That's so great to hear. Um, and do you have any words of advice or suggestions to pass on to those across the, the city's middle school and high schools? Again, a reminder to folks, as I was saying at the beginning, you know, restorative justice practices are going to be phased in citywide. So any middle school or high school, it's, it's starting to take effect this year. So any, any words of advice or suggestions to those across these schools about uh, how to uh, participate in restorative practices and make them effective? Well, like advice and like a, like a challenge, because every time mm -hmm. I do trainings, like I hear this from people and listeners are probably like, when is she going to say this? So it's like time okay. and space. Yeah. Like time yeah. and space is a major challenge. Okay. Um, and I just think, again, just trying to be as creative as possible and seeing what works for your school, what is admin willing to do, what is admin willing to give up? You know, some schools, yeah. it's like every Friday, second period, we're going to do circles. Some administ administrators aren't okay with that. So it's really about doing restorative practices, but doing it with high fidelity, doing it the right way. And doing it in a creative way that really works for your school. So I think that's that's my biggest um, word of advice yeah. is that there will be challenges. We're really figuring out ways to do it correctly because when it's done incorrectly, it's like RJ takes like two steps back when we've been yeah. working so hard to do it um, with high fidelity in the right ways. It's great advice. <laughs> yeah. Well, unfortunately, we have to bring our conversation to a close, but we okay. thank you so much for sharing your work. Thank and you for having me. Yeah. yeah, thanks so much, Kailani. And we're eager to stay updated on both your restorative justice work and the rollout that's happening across the city's public schools. And I definitely, just speaking for myself, definitely have a much clearer understanding of how effective restorative justice looks in practice. And I hope this conversation helps families, schools, and professionals alike in better understanding restorative justice, how it promises to improve school culture and relationships between staff and students, and how it promotes healing and learning more than the previous system of suspension-based discipline. So we thank you all, listeners, for tuning in today. And we really hope you tune in for our next great conversation on Disability, Inc. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Bye.